What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, coming to you from Hoover, Alabama, the... Ball game with Ole Miss and Auburn just went final. That wraps up the full day of the first day of SEC tournament play. So we'll talk about that, kind of preview Mississippi State's opponent. A lot of things to talk about. Even though the Bulldogs didn't do much today, there was one big announcement. Mississippi State will start Brandon Smith against Florida on Wednesday. I really liked the move. I was a little bit curious about which direction we would go. And you almost think you'd like to use the SEC tournament to perhaps – you know, solidified decision as far as your, your third starter. Because here's the thing, I don't think a lot of people have forgotten. You know, we got to win at least three games at a regional. It's not as simple as, oh, we've got a couple of good starters. We, no, we, we, the regional is, is probably more trouble for us than the super. Because you lose that lose, that winner's bracket game and you're in the loser's bracket, you, you're going to stretch your pitch and staff really, really thin. And we listen, we have struggled to get quality starts. So perhaps this is an opportunity for Brandon Smith to become that third starter. It's one of those things you begin to think about, too, as we look forward to next weekend. I don't think you throw Christian McLeod or Will Bednar in game one. If you're, if you're, if you're playing against a four, maybe you could throw Brandon Smith as a starter, uh, as a right-hander, and then maybe you pair him up with Houston Harding in game one, bring McLeod in game two, and then Bednar in game three to kind of close out a regional because you're just you're just not going to pitch it like a normal weekend. Maybe your best matchup is to throw your number three in game one. You know, as we threw Paul Mahalam here a few, several years ago in game one and it ended up basically cost us the regional. So you don't want to waste a big arm against a four, even though everybody everybody's got an ace. And so we're going to see some guys that come out there and it could probably uh, – make things a little interesting for us. But, you know, depending on how Lamontis wants to handle it, I could conceivably see a guy like Brennan Smith getting the first start in the regional next weekend. And so you throw him on on Wednesday, you know, and depending on how long he goes, you know, maybe that eats him up for the weekend, but then all of a sudden he's ready to go next Friday. You know, you give him extra rest there. And so – I like the move. I also like the matchup because, you know, Florida is a bit of a launch angle team. Hoover is a big ballpark. We have seen a few balls leave the yard today. But, you know, Brandon's probably the guy on the staff that gets the most sink out of his pitches. And so he is a ground ball machine when he is on his game. And I think that he's the guy that can get Florida to kind of get themselves out. It's also a good opportunity for State to play a team that's going to be in the NCAA tournament field and potentially a host site. And so it's an RPI-building opportunity for us. This is a team, I guess, right around 24-25. I haven't checked Warren Nolan uh, tonight. You know, of course, there'll be some adjustments with all the activity today. But, again, beating Florida would do more than beating Kentucky. Now, I believe Mississippi State 
I'd hate to say that we're a lock for a top eight national seed, and I know you want to hear me say that. I've heard some other people say that. I just feel like State needs to win a game, certainly two games, who I think would lock it up without question. I think we've done what we need to do, but I'd like to kind of remove all doubt. And so if you win that ball game to Florida, I think everybody can rest easy. And so you know what, no matter what happens the rest of the weekend, we're good. Since we've been together, there's been some other baseball news. Mississippi State, Tanner Allen, named the SEC Player of the Year. Now, there, there was some discussion about that here in the last 10 days, and I began to kind of you know, think, well, man, is, is it really possible? And then when you look at his numbers and look how evenly balanced his year has been and how he is, uh, you know, among the top 10, I think in, what, eight or nine categories, it's ridiculous to think about. But he is your SEC Player of the Year, Mississippi State, also gets him on the first-team All-SEC list, which you certainly would hope that the uh, player of the year is on that list. And according to the release from Mississippi State, that's eight of nine years we've had a first-team All-SEC guy. That's who we should be, right? Second-team guys, Rowdy Jordan, Landon Sims. And people say, I don't understand how Landon Sims didn't make first. Well, here's the deal. It's, it's not a reflection on him or his numbers. It's just kind of the way we do things in the SEC. What is it, two starters and one reliever? Other leagues will have four or five. I mean, you, you couldn't even make it through a weekend with the way the SEC does it. And so I'm not the least bit surprised that Landon made second team, and I'm okay with that. Absolutely okay with that, even though I do think that uh, you could certainly make a good argument. But listen, Cops, Arkansas has been outstanding. I mean, there's no way you can really argue against it, to be honest with you. It's not to say he's better, but he's been used a lot more regularly. And his numbers, as far as innings pitch, is much higher than what we've seen from Sims. So – and you may hear a little background noise. I'm here in the hotel in Hoover, and so this little air condition that's next to me is a little bit noisy at times. Uh, also, the SEC newcomer team had three Bulldogs on the list, and that's uh, Landon Sims, Will Bednar, and Logan Tanner. So six Bulldogs honored for their, their work this year, uh, not unexpected. And you, and you begin to ask yourself, okay, well, who didn't make the list off our team that should have? I think everybody that needed to make the list made the list. That's just, I think anything beyond what we got is probably asking a little bit too much. And so congratulations to those guys and their families. Uh, very well-deserved honors. You know, and sometimes I think, you know, sometimes some guys make these lists by reputation. That's not the case with Tanner Allen. He is having, without a doubt, the best year of his career. It is absolutely ridiculous. And let me read you some of these numbers here. Uh, from the MSU release. Tanner Allen's been at his best against the best in college baseball. Led the SEC in overall batting average at 387. The only SEC hitter to finish with an average over 400 in SEC play at 411. 25 multi-hit games, 17 multi-RBI games, reached base multiple times in 36 of 52 games played. The only SEC student athlete to rank among the top 10 in average on base percentage, slugging percentage, run scores, to RBIs, total bases, and hits. It's ridiculous. It's one of those things you begin kind of to look at this thing and say, okay, well, has T.A. become the guy we always expected him to be? To be honest with you, I think he has exceeded those expectations. I think his feelings were hurt last year because he wasn't drafted. It was a five-round draft. And and to be fair, the fact that he was dealing with that injury, in hindsight, he wasn't going to be drafted. We all kind of held our breath and crossed our fingers. But as we have learned more about that injury, you know, he injured his wrist out there against Long Beach Beach State. 
There was no way. He was beat up all year last year. Remember, he fouled that ball off his foot, and it was an injury plague year. So he comes back by his own admission with a chip on his shoulder, and he has really led this team. Now, as Chris Simona says, he's not the nicest guy in the dugout. He really pushes his teammates to be good and to be better. And that's what you want a leader to do. You know, sometimes the, uh, you know, the biggest leader is not necessarily the most popular guy in the dugout. You need some people who are going to hold you accountable. And that's what T.A. does. He's not a jerk by any stretch of imagination, but he is a guy that leads by example. But he also is a very vocal leader. For not doing right, not acting right, he's the first guy to speak up. And as many people have told you, you know, throughout your life, isn't it great when your best player is also your hardest worker? That's really the case with Tanner Allen. So very well-deserved honor, very, very happy for he and his family. And I'll be honest with you, had he not gotten it, I would not have been disappointed, I guess you could say. I mean, his numbers certainly are worthy of it. But, you know, like, you know, there's a few other guys like Judd Fabian. If they if they had gotten it, you know, I'd been kind of hard to argue against that. You know, if somebody had said, well, you know, maybe Kumar Rocker, you know. I get it, you know, but uh, T.A., really, to win that honor in a year where the league is as loaded as it is really speaks volumes about him and about the season that he's having. So rejoice, Bulldog fans. That's where we are today. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company for all they do to allow me to bring you the latest, greatest, and coolest information about the Mississippi State Bulldogs, the premier college athletics program in the country. No, I'm probably being a little bit far-fetched there. Certainly in the state of Mississippi, right? But in our hearts, number one in the country. Go celebrate Tanner Allen's success in Mississippi State's uh, top eight national seed by going to Bulldog Burger Company. Go by, check them out today. And listen, if you're looking for summer employment or perhaps something more permanent, they can help you. They're looking to hire at all three locations. Of course, you know about the, the one on University Drive in Start Vegas and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Currently staffing, getting ready to train a new staff to open the, uh, the the new location there at Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeland. Go by and check them out today. And if you're not looking for work, you still want to go grab a good meal. The portions are tremendous. The quality is great. The taste is great. The service is great. Price, very affordable. Go find your own favorites. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you better looking. We all need more of that. Some of us should probably eat them daily. And maybe you should. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's run down the day that was in Hoover, Alabama. I, I tell you, I, I got up and got on the road before noon today. It's one of those things you can never get away soon enough, right? I was just thinking, okay, I've been gone so much. Maybe I'll spend the night and get up early Wednesday morning. And I started having these nightmares thinking, well, what if, what if there's like an accident on, on, the, on the interstate? On my in between Tuscaloosa and Birmingham, and let's say I'm late for the game or I missed the game, I didn't want that anxiety in my life, so I came on on Tuesday. Was gonna go make it out to uh, a couple of games today. I didn't go today. My schedule was pretty regimented. I was gonna make it in time before checkout, and then I was gonna interview Rowdy Jordan around three, and then Rowdy got pushed back and pushed back again. So we finally connected around five o'clock. And then I got to thinking, well, I need to get this article up because if I don't get it up now, when are people going to read it? Because the game's going to be played at 930 in the morning and then, you know, the old Miss Auburn game was coming on. And so I decided to take care of that, went and had some pizza at the local place, came back, watched the game online, and now I'm here with you guys. But um, it was a very, very eventful day out at the Hoover Met. So let's kind of run down that action. Of course, the first game of the day is one of interest for Mississippi State fans as the University of Kentucky and Florida 
you know, went head-to-head. I suspect Nick Mengion, those guys are kicking themselves tonight. They absolutely had several opportunities. Listening to the game in, you're thinking, okay, 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 we got runners at second and third, nobody out. They get nothing from it. And then Florida, of course, uh, you put together a couple runs there. It's just incredible to begin to, to see how this thing worked. Kentucky actually out hit Florida 11 to 5. 11 to 5, Florida booted the ball around, and, and Kentucky did as well. Uh, so it wasn't a clean game for either team. But, you know, you get 11 hits and you only get one run. I mean, it's just one of those things you look at and you scratch your head about. It makes no sense whatsoever. But Florida gets two in the first, and then it just seemed like every inning after that, it seemed like Kentucky was just so close, so close to kind of climbing back in the ball game. Well, they, they finally do in the fifth. So it's a 2-1 ball game, and Florida does what good teams do. They responded, and they put up two themselves to make it a 4-1 game. And then the rest, of the, the rest of it was just zeros the whole way through. Now, one of the things I think is interesting, um, when you begin to kind of run through this, you know, this Florida thing, they, they had to use two of their best pitchers today. Tommy Mace goes five innings on short rest, seven hits, one run, eight Ks, and in one walk. They uh, bring in Lefwich late to get the save, and he goes, uh, you know, one in the third innings, gives up a couple of hits, gets a couple of Ks, only faces six hitters. So I'm sure he would be available for probably an inning tomorrow. But you just never know how effective guys are going to be, especially, you know, throwers like that. They have to come back on back-to-back days. So not a great offensive showing by Kentucky, but they're very, very efficient in their work here. You know, looking at the numbers here, leadoff hitter uh, Young, two for four in the ballgame, and then Acton, the second baseman, also two for four, the only two multi-hit guys in the lineup. And remember, they only had five hits. You know, so you had six starters go hitless, today, including Judd Fabian, 0 for 5 with a K. Not a lot of swing and miss in the Florida lineup. They're a team that's going to put it in play, which I think kind of plays into the hands of Brandon Smith a little bit. And Kentucky did a pretty good job defensively. Like I said, they, they did have a couple of errors. But, you know, it's just – I just go back to this whole thing about 11 hits and just a one run. And you even had mixed in a couple of walks there. And then you had some guys out there like, you know, D.H., goes uh, 0 for 4 with 3 Ks. I mean, it's just Kentucky simply wasn't opportunistic and Florida took advantage. If Mississippi State has the same opportunities, if Mississippi State goes out there and gets Florida, holds them to four or five hits in the ball game, you got to like Mississippi State's chances. It's a very talented Florida team, but some people have begun to wonder, you know, if maybe perhaps Florida's pitching is not as good as it has been. And, you know, it, it's still very good. You know, you still got some guys that are going to be drafted very, very early. But I like the fact that two of those guys have already pitched. And they're going to they're going to, we'll get to the, the start of the, the starter for tomorrow a little bit later in the show. But you know, you, you go through this thing and you begin to look and think, you know, Florida over and over and over again. I'm trying to find a box score here. But the uh, left on base was absolutely horrendous for Kentucky. And it looks like uh, I'd go back here and find it, I guess. But um I don't know how much it really matters. The bottom line is Kentucky let Florida off the hook, and Florida's too good a team. When you get them on the ropes, you got to get the big hit. And we struggle with that at times this year, too. we got to be opportunistic tomorrow. There's no doubt about it. Because, again, I believe we, we win the ball game tomorrow. I think all the worrying about a national seed is over. All right, let's go back here 
game two, Alabama jumped all over South Carolina. I mean, absolutely jumped on them. And, uh, and I, honestly, I think this makes us look a little bit better. You know, the fact that we just got back from sweeping Alabama at their place and then they come in here and beat a team like South Carolina who was in the pool of 20 as a potential host. And you heard me guys talking about it earlier. Uh, you know, South Carolina is a team that, uh, you know, on paper against Florida, South Carolina actually looks better on paper. Well, then South Carolina loses today and Florida wins. Now, all of a sudden, you kind of go back to the drawing board and start thinking, okay, well, you know, what if not that Florida has – advance beyond the single elimination phase they're going to have a couple more ball games at a minimum to play you know perhaps they could play their way into a host and i know some people were probably projecting that you know we'll kind of see how things break out but alabama of course still playing to get into the tournament had an incredibly devastating weekend last weekend getting beat all three games but they come in here today and they beat a team that is going to be in the tournament and Alabama's RPI is still very respectable, still around mid-20s. And, again, I hadn't looked at Warren Nolan. Maybe we will before the show's over. But, you know, this ball game in the third, they jump on them six runs in the third. Carolina responds, and then Alabama goes back and puts up, I guess it was 8 nothing before uh, Carolina put any runs up. And at that point, you're thinking, you know, SEC pitching, especially, uh, you know, in the SEC tournament this early in the week, you know, it's very difficult to come back from those kind of deficits, and that was the case for South Carolina. Uh, Tyler Ross gets a win for Alabama. You know, State, State got to him a little bit last weekend. He goes six innings, uh, five hits, three runs, four Ks, give up a couple of dingers, though. And then they bring in uh, Guffey, who pitches a three-inning save. So Alabama pitching still in pretty good shape. They don't have elite pitching, but they only use two guys, and they probably need to win three games. Probably need to win three to have a realistic chance uh, to get in. And so South Carolina now will sit at home and wait. They know they're in the tournament. They don't know if they're hosting. But I think everybody realizes that uh, those guys will be in a regional somewhere. Maybe in Columbia, maybe somewhere else. Maybe in Charlotte, who knows. Maybe they end up being a one seed in Charlotte. Uh, One of the bigger stories of the day LSU Tigers are done. LSU's had a lot of success in Hoover over the years, and for some reason the voodoo magic has kind of left them this year. You know, like we, they had the rally possum, and you know, they always have all the the little things that always seem to happen, and you, and you think, you know what, this team is just, uh, you know, powered by voodoo. But it just hadn't happened for them this year. And even though they won some down the stretch, they weren't nearly as good as they should have been or we expect them to be. I think it's pretty safe to say LSU is going to have a very anxious week. I really felt like this LSU-George game was essentially a play-in game. I thought the winner of this game is in. The loser of this game may not be. I think the loser of this game is in a lot of trouble. And that's the case, you know, for LSU. They lose 4-1. to one. And uh, if I remember correctly, I guess Marceau went the distance for, for, uh, for LSU. That is correct. He goes eight innings. Uh, gives up nine hits and four runs. And, of course, the bloom is off the rose a little bit, but that's still a very talented pitcher. You know, looking at the numbers here, you know, for Georgia, you know, they're not great. But, goodness, you know, four runs on nine hits, and then LSU gets one on seven. Clearly, South Carolina – I mean, excuse me, Georgia executed some pitches when they had to. Uh, Wagner, it's kind of a Johnny Holstaff day. Goes three and a third. They bring in Woods. He gets the win. Goes three and two-thirds. And then they – uh, Harris and uh, go and finish it up. So they throw four guys, and all of those guys 
based on the number of pitches thrown, should be able to come back at some point in the weekend if Georgia continues to advance. But if you're LSU, there's nothing to feel good about right now. It is in the hands of somebody else, absolutely somebody else. And you, be, you begin to look at, you know, LSU has a very young nucleus of talent, so I think uh, if Paul Maneri retires, as many people have suggested that he will, there's a group of guys here, I think, that are ready to win. You know, Trey Morgan and Dugas and, uh, you know, uh, Dylan Cruz, those guys are studs. There's a lot to work with here at LSU. I don't know what the uh, what the arms look like for next year, but this is a team I think next year should be should be better. Isn't it weird to think that LSU may not be in the in the tournament? It's crazy to think about that. I think we all expected them to take a step back this year because of all the things they lost. I don't think any of us truly expected LSU to be sweating out a selection into the NCAA tournament hoping to be a three. And I've read all week some people think, oh, they're definitely in. Uh, this is a huge loss for them, huge, huge loss. Now, granted, there's a lot more at-large bursts this year, and then there are several conferences that aren't going to play a conference tournament, so there's not a lot of, as many bid stealers this year because the regular season champion is awarded uh, the automatic bid. And so you don't run the risk of, you know, somebody winning the regular season title and then being upset in the tournament. And then all of a sudden, you know, a traditionally one-bid league becomes a two-bid league. So a lot less of that's going to happen this year, and the committee's got a lot of those at-large bursts to work with. Does LSU get one? Man, if I had to call it today, I'd say probably not. And then ICAP, Ole Miss, uh, overcomes a late charge from Auburn. Auburn jumped up early, second pitch of the ballgame. Ryan Bliss hits a home run. And then Ole Miss responds and really puts some nice swings together. And listen, you know, Owen's a guy from has been such a competitor for Auburn, but he just hadn't been right all year. You know, he, he hurt his thumb earlier in the year in a fall uh, scrimmage, inter-squad scrimmage, and just, you know, it's taken him forever to get going. And they throw him out there. He's their most competitive guy. And, you know, it just didn't work out. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss ties it in the first and puts up four runs in the third, and it really felt like the game was over. Auburn rallies and puts a run up in the fifth, and all of a sudden you think, okay, we've got a ball game again. In the seventh, Auburn puts up two more runs, makes it a 5-4 ball game. But, you know, you flash back to the fifth. You know, Ryan Bliss is up there with two men on and two outs, and uh, Nikhazy strikes him out. And that I think, really think that was kind of a turning point in the ball game really made you feel like Ole Miss was going to win. And, of course, it was 5-4 in the seventh. Ole Miss does what good teams do. They give up two, they put up two. Next thing you know, it's a 7-4 ball game. And I really think that the air went out of the Auburn sale at that point. Nikhazy just short of 100 pitches. Uh, clearly, he's done for the weekend. And now you've got, you know, basically 10 days to rest him. You know, he won't have to throw again until uh, the regional. And I, I can't imagine they throw him in game one at the regional probably save him for game two. So while it was a calculated risk throwing him the night, he was very, very good. Uh, he is, without a doubt, their their best player and certainly their best pitcher. And so Ole Miss advances. And, again, I don't think Ole Miss has anything to lose or to gain this weekend at Hoover. I think they are locked in as a host. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think they're going to play their way into a national eight. I just don't see that happening. Uh, but, listen, Mike Bianco's done a good job over the years kind of managing this tournament. And so – We'll see what happens. I just don't think they have the pitching. But, you know, offensively, they're a team that can really get out there and rake a little bit. You know, so we'll see how things 
uh, you know, progress. But uh, Hoover at its core over the years has been a pitcher's park because there's a lot more room out there, uh, you know, for the outfielders and you got a bigger park. But, um, you know, we'll kind of see how things progress. But, uh, you know, that's, those are your winners tonight. Eliminated from the tournament, Kentucky, South Carolina, LSU, Auburn. Just eight teams remain. We'll get our chance there uh, in the morning. So let's take a quick look at the the bracket, how tomorrow's games look, and I'll give you a you know, quick little preview on that. We'll kind of move forward to the top ten list. Of course, the only game that matters, the first one, Mississippi State and Florida at 9.30 a.m. Excited to say the least. Game number two will be, uh, you know, I guess, 35 minutes after hours, Alabama versus Tennessee. Alabama needs this in the worst way. Again, Tennessee, I think Tennessee has nothing to gain or lose. It's probably just kind of you know, working some guys, getting them some innings. Tony Vitello is a com- competitor. I know he's going to want to go out there and try to win this thing, legitimize his team, maybe move up a spot in the, in the National Eight. They're locked in as an eight. They're locked in as a host. Alabama needs this in the worst way possible, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, the early afternoon game, or I guess the matinee game, will be Arkansas and Georgia. You know, you really got to like Arkansas here. But, you know, Georgia's a team, too, that you kind of improved their chances. But, uh, you know, a win like this, that they could take a win over Arkansas, I don't think there's any questions Georgia's in at that point. It's the number one RPI team in the country. And so Georgia, kind of hanging around there, had a bad weekend against Ole Miss. But this is a team I think, uh, you know, anything can happen on a neutral field. But, uh, you know, you got to like Arkansas here. But, you know, Georgia's going to bring their best. And then Ole Miss and Vanderbilt is the nightcap. Interesting to see who Vanderbilt will pitch. You know, you got to think probably Dustin Diamond for Ole Miss. Or Derek Diamond, is that his name? I guess Dustin Diamond was Screech, right? God rest his soul. Um, Vanderbilt probably throws a younger guy and then probably saves Rocker and lighter but I don't know that I haven't really looked at their notes but um, you know Vanderbilt loses two out of three to Ole Miss this is probably one they're looking forward to and and on the other side Ledger I'm sure Ole Miss is thinking too hey we've already beat these guys two out of three we get this one it helps us even more maybe it gets us uh, moves us up in a seating a little bit maybe we don't get all the way to top eight but maybe it moves us from you know a 12 to an 11 or maybe to a 10 so a lot to play for and, again, Vanderbilt, I think Vanderbilt could you know, decide to go home right now, and I think they're probably your number three national seed regardless of what happens in Hoover. So it'll be interesting to see how Corbin manages the game tomorrow. Let's jump into today's top ten list brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. If you haven't bought your sunglasses for the summer, look no further. Visit johnnypacker.com today. Do business with Bulldogs. These are Mississippi State folks that are trying to give you some Hollywood style with some Golden Triangle flair. Every frame in their catalog is named after a Mississippi town. These guys are fiercely proud Mississippians. They're also people that uh, have been impacted by the cystic fibrosis. And so John Packer is a guy that has lived with that most of his life and uh, has become a bit of an advocate for other people. He's, you know what, I'm trying to to fund some research to hopefully improve the quality of life for younger people that come behind me with cystic fibrosis. And so a portion of every purchase donated to CF Foundation. And now when you pull up the website, let's say your favorite frames are sold out, don't panic. Just shoot them a message 
and they will get those things on order for you. They're turning them around pretty quick. What's happened, though, is since those guys have jumped on board with the Boneyard, you guys have been buying glasses, and so the website kind of can't keep up. And so what's happened is like they'll get, you know, let's say we get five frames in, and as soon as the frames come in, six or seven orders come in, and all of a sudden it shows they're sold out. And so while their available inventory like in-house may be gone, they're able to get it from their vendors within a couple days. So it's not like you're going to order and have to wait for a month. So if you see it sold out, don't panic. Use the Contact Us link and say, hey, Brandon and JCP, I want to get the Greenwood frames, and they'll get them for you. That's what happened to me. We wanted the Greenwood frames. It showed they were sold out. So don't worry, we can get them. And uh, we had them, I think, in two days. So check it out today, John, johnnypacker.com, and use promo code BONEYARD to get 10% off your order. You heard that right, 10% off just by being a Boneyard listener. So when you guys send me a suggestion for the top 10 list, almost immediately I send it to Roy. I say, Roy, here we've got a request for this, we've got a request for that. Matter of fact, I just sent him one recently. We've got a request for Queen Drike, and we're going to do that one soon. But sometimes, like, I'll send these things in, and then I'll, I forget about them. And then Roy will have them, like, on the list of our to-do list. And then something else will pop up, or I'll hear a song on the radio and say, hey, we hadn't done this. Like, we hadn't done corn yet. And we're going to do corn, too. There's a lot of things we hadn't done yet. It's like we get to a stopping point sometimes, and you guys will send a great idea, and it's like, hey, what's happening? I got a good idea the other day. Somebody said, hey, Steve, what about top ten songs that you have to play air guitar or air drums to even if other people are watching? I like the idea. We're going to work that in too. But every so often I get one, and somebody will send one that you know maybe of, of an iconic artist that maybe I'm not a huge fan of. And we've had a couple people request Diana Ross, had three people request Whitney Houston. And so I would send these names to Roy, and he's like, hey, you've already sent me that one. So I let Roy pick the schedule this week. You know, Roy Samante, a good friend of mine, uh, Roy volunteered to, uh, to begin to put the top ten list on Spotify. If you're looking for previous top ten lists, look on Spotify, search for Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, Dogmatic 6-7. And you can find all our lists there. You can like them, you can share them, whatever. And what's incredible is, like, I see all these impressions and see all you guys are looking at the list and, and then uh, you're going over and maybe subscribe to Roy. It's a good thing, too. So you can keep these things. They'll just show up on your playlist. But um, So we're doing Whitney Houston today. You're saying, Steve, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're doing Whitney Houston today. I watched that documentary about her life on uh, Netflix. You know, you forget. You know, when you live through it, especially when, I'll be honest, I'll make a confession to you guys. I learned a much greater respect for Whitney Houston after I was in my 20s and 30s. You know, because I, I hated the fact in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. I hated that we were so inundated with all this pop music. It's like you, you call up. You know, the radio station is like, hey, listen, we want to hear we want to hear Skid Row. You know, we want to hear, you know, Iron Maiden. They're like, you're calling the wrong place, man. We're fixing to play New Kids on the Block. And I remember there used to be a radio station on the coast that used to transmit up into South Mississippi. It was called uh, Power 108, 107.9 on the FM dial. And I used to get so tickled, they would say, you're, you're power pack. And they'd have that little beefy voice and say, you're power pack. 
Debbie Gibson, New Kids on the Block, Whitney Houston. And I'm thinking, man, that's not power. What are you doing? It sounded so hokey and ridiculous. And so I had a little bit of this, um, you know, bias, I guess, because, you know, I always considered myself a little bit, you know, maybe outside the lines a little bit. And so I rejected a lot of that music on principle. I was a bit of a Tiffany fan, but I was really more of a fan of Tiffany than I was the music, if that kind of makes sense to you. But, um, yeah, but nevertheless, Whitney Houston's an exceptionally talented lady, and God rest her soul. But when I watched that documentary, I guess it was about Clive Davis, and uh, they, they had a big section, obviously, on there about Whitney Houston. And you forget, man, how many hits that this lady had. I mean, and how remarkable her career was. And she began at such a young age, and she was on American Bandstand. And then all of a sudden, she is like part of American culture, you know, for decades. And then, you know, one thing that got really sad is there were a lot of people, you know, when she began to have some personal problems, there were a lot of people that, you know, kind of made fun of her. And I think that's one of the things that happens in the world. It's like, you know, when you see people that are so ultra-talented, and then all of a sudden, they're human. You know, they begin to make some human mistakes because we put people on pedestals. And, you know, there are some people that are hoping to knock you off that pedestal. And they can't wait for you to fall so they can say, see, I told you. They weren't everything you told, that, that you told me they were. And I really felt that was the case of Whitney Houston. And there were a lot of cruel jokes made about her weight, and then about her drug problem. And, and, you know, of course, she had some addiction issues and and uh, it's really kind of sad to think that uh, you know, this ultra-talented person who was America's sweetheart for so long, and, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, too. I mean, and this is one of those things I go back and think about, you know, in, about the progress that we've made as a society. I mean, like, in, in the late 70s, early 80s, there wasn't a lot of crossover between racial lines when it came to a lot of music. There, there just was There was some artists. I mean, there, there were iconic ones like Elvis Presley and... Uh, you know, James Brown, Prince to a lesser extent. Prince was just, just getting going back then. Uh, you know, Rick James, Commodores. There was some of that. And, of course, there's a lot of stuff from Motown that kind of made its way over, but it was kind of a guilty pleasure for a lot of people because the racial climate in this country was uh, was much different. But when Whitney Houston came along, she was so incredibly accepted by people of all races because she was so incredibly talented. It's like you see this young lady singing and you're like, Wow, I mean, she just kind of blew you away. And so I think it's cool that we can take a little time and kind of celebrate her and, uh, of course, her life. Very tragic at the end. Very, very sad story. She should still be with us. But, again, it's a cautionary tale. I mean, just because somebody has this incredible amount of talent, incredible amount of money and fame, and basically a person that can pick up the phone and get anybody in the world to work with them, that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're immune from life's problems. And we all live life on life's terms. And sadly, uh, the check was called in on Whitney Houston far too soon. So let's take a few moments and celebrate the music of Whitney Houston. You probably never thought you'd hear me say those words, but here we go. So here are my top ten. Your top ten may differ from mine, which would mean automatically on its face your top ten is wrong. It's incredible how many people think that I really mean that, too. <laughs> so every so often, somebody will message me. I know you think I'm wrong. Guys, we're all friends. We all love each other. And I'm okay with you being wrong. But here are my top ten Whitney Houston songs. Number ten, one that I, I saw her perform live on an award show with a full orchestra. 
and I was blown away by how great it was live. It's one of those things that there are so many people that can do it in the studio, especially nowadays with auto-tune. Most of these pop stars today that my girls love are, are really very average, but they're very marketable from an image standpoint, so they, you know, they can't sing, so they use computers to sing for them. But I heard Whitney Houston sing this live with this orchestra, and it was too, at the time, I was just, I was like, is that really Whitney Houston? I mean, just it just kind of blows you away because you feel like you're witnessing this historic moment, but it's the song, I Have Nothing. Number nine, this goes back to the very beginning. This might have been her first big hit. It's been a while since I've, I've listened to Whitney Houston, but um, it's You Give Good Love. That was one of her first big hits. You Give Good Love to Me, Bay B. Number eight, Another one of these uh, Lover's Lament songs, and we all love those, even if we don't want to admit it. And sometimes when we're in our car and we're by ourselves and we're reminiscing, kind of going down memory lane, and we put on some song about heartbreak, this is one for sure, and it's Didn't We Almost Have It All. True. Number seven, again, one of the earlier ones, and this is an iconic song, and it seemed like when this song was popular, you couldn't go anywhere without somebody singing it I heard it on the radio, like, like you, you go to Walmart or whatever, and it seemed like it played five times an hour. But it's saving all my love for you. Number six, something a little more up-tempo later in the catalog. It's I'm Every Woman. And it's like, I think that's been on every uh, hair care commercial for, since the dawn of time. They have absolutely commercialized that song, for sure. And listen, a lot of the stuff that Whitney Houston did with Clive Davis, you know, they, she was a corporate entity. I mean, she was part of the corporate music machine. And you know, good for her because she was she was ultra talented. She wasn't one of these people that they uh, had to kind of prop up. They uh, she had a lot of people around it that were very talented. But um, I'm every woman. I mean, it's just like, oh, you want to sell some makeup? Let's use that song. You want to sell some uh, nail products? Let's do that. Let's oh, we got some shampoo to sell. Okay, let's do that. You know, I'm every woman was everywhere. It got overplayed, but it is a tremendous song. Number five, <clears throat> again, this one I think. It, it seemed like this was number one for like a year, but it's Where Do Broken Hearts Go? Do They Find Their Way Home? And it's really, it's a very well-written song, and of course, Whitney didn't write hardly any of her music. I don't know who wrote this one, but the, the phrasing on this, this song is incredible. Number four, and this is when, and Clive Davis talked about this in a documentary, is this is when they were trying to give her, you know, more of an adult uh, R&B image and kind of get her out of that, you know, teeny bopper type, persona it's uh i'm your baby tonight and all of a sudden you see the video and she does look all grown up and they made her a lot more adult i think in the beginning they packaged her to kind of be more of a you know a, a teen type star because of the fact that uh, teens were the ones that bought all the tapes and yeah it was still tapes back then we didn't get cds until a little bit later but everybody bought the tapes and they came to the shows and they bought the t-shirts so they marketed her more to the teeny boppers and then as she began to grow and those people began to kind of mature too, her music matured right along with her. Number four, one of, I honestly think this is, obviously I think a lot of this song because it's number three, but this is one of those ones I think is probably underappreciated in the catalog. And I, I love the music on this one. I think that the, uh, the groove on this one is incredible. But uh, my love is your love. And I don't know where the song came from, but I think her delivery on this is great. 
because it's to me i think it shows a little bit of her lower register because we all know her as the you know the one young lady that could hit the big note but this is one where i thought she kind of grooved a little bit you know it was a little more of an r&b flavor to it and i really love the song number two and uh this was on mtv i think every 15 minutes and this you know back to them uh you know packaging her as a teen heartthrob type deal it's uh, I want to dance with somebody, and they even play that sometimes at the ball games at Davis Wade, which I don't think it fits. And listen, it's nothing against the song, but when we're driving down the field or we're trying to make a big defensive stop, I'm not trying to dance with any of y'all. I might want to do the dog pound rock after we score, but I'm not looking to dance with anybody during the football game. I'm just not. Now maybe you play it at basketball games and it's cool, maybe. It just doesn't seem to be like a sports song for me. But, uh, listen, I spent a lot of time in high school thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't want to hear this. But it's an iconic song. It is an absolute classic song from the 80s, and it's a song that still kind of holds up today. It's like when – I guess it was at baseball a couple years ago we played it, and it's like when the song ended, the whole crowd kept singing along. And so maybe it is a sports song. I don't know. But I know that people love that song. But uh, number one, you probably drum roll, I guess. It's the greatest love of all. And uh, I can't remember the guy, the last guy that sent me Whitney Houston. He said that he agreed, this was his number one. And it, I don't think there's any question. And uh, what's funny about this song is I think a lot of people think this is about a relationship, and it's not. It's not your wedding song. It's not for your prom. It's not for any of that stuff. The greatest love of all is love for yourself. And it's not arrogance or haughtiness or anything like that or self-centeredness. It's about loving yourself. The greatest love of all is inside of me. It's about me looking after myself and knowing that I'm a person of value, knowing that I'm a person that has dreams and aspirations, and that I am worthy of of those things. And so maybe go back and listen to that song in a different light. There are a lot of people that, um, you know, when when I was a kid, Everybody used to have, like, every couple had a song. You know what I'm saying? Well, we did. I was like, well, this is our song. And I don't know if y'all still do that today, young people, but we did it. And I was dating. I won't say who the girl is, but, uh, you know, I don't want to embarrass her. She may be embarrassed. I think she was enough from an almost family. So maybe I should name her, right? Uh, but, no, I remember, you know, we were much younger. And um, Cherish from Cool in the Gang was our song cherish the love we had like at 13 years of age we knew anything about that but we all had a song and i think a lot of people in high school remember this that (laughs) it was so stupid it's like all these couples in my in my my high school they had the greatest love of all is their couple song and i'm thinking you dodo birds you know they're not even singing about a dadgum couple but you know i guess whatever works but it's just you know Cherish the Love We Have is a much better couple song, even to this day. So if one of you want to have a couple song with me, maybe we can pick one out. But it's not going to be the greatest love of all. That's your top ten list for today. If you have suggestions for the top ten list, because as you know, I'll do anything. I even had somebody reach out and say, Steve, how about a top ten minute work? I'm like, dude, do they even have ten songs? You know, I, I guess if we could do uh, the land down under and who can it be now five times but you know what i'm saying I, I don't know you know it's like what do we do for minute work sometimes i think you guys are just trolling me but if you have a legitimate idea for a top 10 list reach out and let me know we'll give it a shot roy and i are, uh, got a pretty good list together and uh on friday 
it's going to be a lot different than a Whitney Houston day. Uh, on Fridays, I like to do some rock. And so we're going to do some metal on Friday. And I mean metal. And no, it's not Slayer. But it's also not Debbie Gibson. We might do something a little lighthearted on Wednesday. But when it's payday and when it's time for the weekend, we will raise our fist to the gods of rock on this show. So I'm looking forward to that. Roy has been after me to do this band for about three months. And we're going to do it, and I'm going to blow Roy's mind. He's going to think there's no way Steve is going to get this list right, and Roy's wrong. Because I, too, am a fan of this band. And everybody that loved metal from the 80s and 90s, even up until uh, the late 2010s, this band's been around for a long time, selling out festivals and venues around the world can't wait to do it some of you are going to be turned off that kind of turns me on too because we're going to raise our goblets and salute metal next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at campus bookmark stand and man miss kathy brown stan's probably gonna be upset with me because you like steve always says he's coming by and he doesn't so i'm not, i Standis, let me get through this, man. Let me, let me get through this Hoover trip, and I'm going to come by and see you. Because I still got stuff I got to buy. I really have enough time. I, I don't have, have enough time to eat some days. But, um, but anyway, uh, Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. If for no other reason, I got to get by there to see Susie to see if she's gotten better looking. I'm sure she has. But um, if you can't get by there and see them, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. They have the latest in Mississippi State fashions. You need to outfit your family before summer vacation. Sometimes mom is thinking, hey, we got this trip coming up. Everybody needs a couple new outfits, mom. Everybody does. And you can fill that need at campusbookmart.net. And we'll save you a little cash by being a loyal Bonyard listener. The phrase that pays, BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. Get your baseball jerseys ready for the regional. Get them ready for Omaha. Get them ready for Super Regional. But if you just need a nice new shirt, let me tell you, your kids want Mississippi State stuff. Your husband wants Mississippi State stuff. And you know what, guys? Your favorite girl, she wants Mississippi State stuff. And even maybe your not favorite girl wants Mississippi State stuff. So get everybody taken care of right there at campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. And again, that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take a look at the University of Florida baseball team. We didn't play them this year in the regular season. We avoided Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee from the East this year. Of course, this is, again, a golden opportunity we had because we got the bottom end of the, of the East, didn't take full advantage. But uh, it's a chance for us now. We've got a chance to play Florida and Tennessee, show how good we are. Florida's good. They're not as good as I think most of us, including myself, expected them to be. They were picked number one at the beginning of the year. The consensus number one picked to win the SEC. Um, but they haven't lived up to that potential. They got hot late and kind of played their way into potentially hosting a regional. They still may. You know, life comes at you fast. But, um, you know, we win that ball game tomorrow. We certainly uh, – help South Carolina a little bit, but, you know, South Carolina sitting at home hoping to get some help. You know, the days of, you know, teams having a bunch of 300 hitters are pretty much over. Florida has three, though. Florida has three. They're barely over 300, but they're up there. Jacob Young, of course, hit the big bomb earlier today. 
Uh, he has four bombs on the year, hitting 309 as a uh, on the year. Leadoff hitter for them, 233 at bats, 72 hits, got a lot of speed, legged out three triples, uh, second on the team in total bases. So this is a guy that can kind of do it all. 13 to 14 stolen bases, and they don't run the bases a lot, which is kind of unusual. Florida, just 30 of 46 on the year in stolen bases, and nearly half of them come from Young. Uh, Sterling Thompson hitting 305. He is not a full-time starter, but has played a lot for them this year. Another guy that's hit number three bills, man. Uh, 50 hits on the year, eight doubles, three triples, four dingers. 23 RBI. Nathan Hickey, that's a name you'd be familiar with. It seems like that uh, he is a guy that, um, you know, has got a lot of potential. You know, he's uh, he's one of these guys that uh, beginning of the year, some people were saying, hey, this kid is going to be, you know, a star, you know, for them. So you might want to go ahead and get familiar with that name. He and Landon Sims, excuse me, he, he and Logan Tanner are going to be competing for a lot of honors here in the next several years. Uh, 55 games played, started all of them as catcher, as a freshman. And you know how, how ridiculous that is to have a guy because even Logan Tanner hadn't started every game for us, you know, because a lot of times, you know, Luke Hancock would start some on Saturdays or some in the midweek. Nathan Hickey started all of them, absolutely all of them. Uh, got eight bombs too. This is a guy that's legit, man, 47 RBIs, which leads the team. Freshman. Colby Halter hitting right at 300, 299 for them. Got three dingers. Uh, Judd Fabian, the real power threat in this order. He is the only guy on the team with double-digit home runs, and and it seems like Judd Fabian has been at Florida forever. Uh, I am ready for him to go. I like the fact that he went 0 for 5 today. Maybe he's slumping a little bit. Uh, you know, listed as a sophomore out of uh, Trinity Catholic, but uh, this is a guy that can hurt you. A great mistake hitter. He started 54 games this year. Did have the one game off. 52 hits on the year. 10 doubles. Excuse me, 52 hits, 10 doubles, and then 20 home runs, uh, 46 RBI. So they've got a little power in the order, really more of a doubles team, 97 doubles as a team, 67 home runs, and it's kind of spread out. But there are some guys in this order that you can attack. It's not as simple as, all right, we got to go up there and make our best pitch and get guys to chase. I mean, there are guys you can pound the bottom half of the strike zone with that sinker and they will get themselves out. We're going to have to play good defense because Brandon Smith's going to pitch to contact. There's no question about it. Now, from a pitching standpoint, they've already announced their pitcher. It's going to be another freshman. Um, and it's a left-hander. It's one of those things, too. It's like we hadn't seen a left-hander in a while. We're going to see one, and it's uh, Hunter Barco, 404 ERA, 9-2 and two on the year, 14 starts, 75 innings pitched, just under a hit per inning. 40 runs, 34 of them earned, 25 walks, 92K. So nearly a 4-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. And uh, has not given up a lot of extra base hits, but he does at times leave some balls up. He has given up a staff-high nine home runs. So you can touch him a little bit. But here's the thing, and this is one of the things you learn as life kind of moves forward. Uh, about an average about 242, is that guys that don't walk a lot of people are guys that are around the plate a lot, kind of like we saw with Alabama. Florida is going to be a lot better 
it kind of throwing some swing and miss stuff because you know uh, uh, you know Kevin O'Sullivan is the pitching coach. You know, this is a guy that I think he still calls every pitch, and so it's going to be a little different than what we saw at Alabama. But they're going to be around the plate enough that we're going to be able to get some. You know, we're going to be able to put some balls in play. You know, as a staff, you begin to kind of work through this thing and just kind of take a look at you know, across the board. Four point two five with a one point two eight WHIP. That's that's decent numbers, and it's so to hear Florida people say it, they say, well, you know, it just hadn't been a great year pitching wise. And I think a lot of it's because there were so much expectations on what people thought that um, you know, that Mace and Leftwich and those guys are going to be. They end up moving Leftwich. Uh, to the bullpen. You know, it was that Ole Miss series, if you recall, where they kind of shook things up, where he, he started the relievers and then had the starters uh, work in relief. It was just you know, it's a different deal. It's been kind of a work in progress all year. But, you know, as a staff, that you know, they, they don't just blow you away, but they're certainly good enough to go out there and put together six, seven, eight, nine innings uh, and beat you on any given day. Those are the things you kind of look at and begin to kind of think, okay, this is Florida. You, you look at numbers and everything else, but you got to remember who's in a dugout. Uh, as a staff, 505 strikeouts, 161 walks. That's a lot of punch outs. It is. They've allowed 55 home runs, too. Batting average against 246. So, you know, I think we can go win the ballgame. And uh, I think one of the things that helps us is Brandon Smith starting the ballgame because this is a free swinging team. They are. They're, they're, they want to hit their way on. They're, they're not, you're not going to get up there and work counts and that sort of stuff. Uh, those guys want to rake. That's just kind of in the DNA there in Florida. And you, do, you look at them as a team. I think I mentioned this, 277 uh, as a team. Looking at their strikeouts, 471. So 505 punchouts by the pitching staff and then 471 uh, from the Florida team. Judd Fabian, 74 Ks on the year. And you're going to get a lot of that with these launch angle type teams that are always swinging for the fence. It's kind of like the old Skip Bartman mentality. It's like, you know, we're going to play for a three-run homer. And if we don't get it, we may, we may strike out, but we get up for the next inning, we're going to do it. You know, small ball, just not a real part of the, the Florida Gators game there. So a lot of swing and miss in this lineup. I think this is also a team, their top nine, they're going to put the ball in play, and Brandon Smith's going to be around his own a lot. So – we got to go out there and play good defense behind them. I don't think it's going to be some big uh, shootout. I don't. Uh, you know, Brandon Smith, when he's on his game, he's very, very difficult to deal with. You know, people forget, you know, a couple of years ago, that was the plan. You remember Brandon was one of our better, you know, his freshman year. You know, Brandon was a guy that we, you know, was kind of a good middle reliever for us. And we're thinking, hey, he's going to be a starter on the weekend. I remember Scott Foxhall had told me, said, hey, he'll either be a closer next year or a starter for us next year. But either way, he is going to pitch valuable innings for us. And then we get in the fall, and I guess it was in that scrimmage game against Louisiana. He tears his UCL. And that's Tommy John. And so the plan all along was is for Brandon to be a guy that was going to be very valuable to the Mississippi State pitching staff. He's rounded back into form. And he just might be the guy. You, know, you begin to think about our postseason pitching plans, and we have really struggled to kind of nail down a Sunday guy uh, throughout the year. You know, we, we tried Sarantola. Of course, we threw, you know, Fristo out there some. He had some early success. People began to get some tape on him, and I think in many ways he's kind of hit the wall. 
We've tinkered a little bit with Houston Harding, who was really great as a starter in the midweek. And then we throw him out there on the weekends, and he had his worst outing of the year. He's just better out of the bullpen. But when you begin to think, okay, when we get into a regional, there's no margin for error. We can't get out there and just, okay, we're going to throw an opener, and maybe he won't give up two or three runs, and then maybe Harding will be on. Yeah, I think everybody from Chris Lamonis and Scott Fox all down to me and you, we'd love to know that we can throw a guy out there on Sunday in game three and probably get us five or six innings rather than have to sweat out a couple of innings and hope we don't get too far behind. You always expect to score runs in game three, but in a regional it's a different format, right? Everybody in a regional is going to have arms, right? And you never know when you're going to run into some guy having a game of his life. There are always some gamers out there that step up and kind of blow people away. And so if we can settle that this week, win a game or two, and then settle who the third starter is going to be, it's been a successful week. I'd love to win this thing, but I don't have to win this thing. I guess we won it back in 2012, and I think uh, I think John Cohen's group and Chris Stratton, it seemed like they pitched in the heart of the day every day for five days. And then we were completely exhausted next weekend in the regional. And these guys are college kids. They bounce back. And, and listen, even in the nine years since then, we've come a long way in strength and nutrition and recovery and arm care and things like that. You know, I'd love to be able to win this thing. But – I don't think we have to win it to feel like that we've had a successful week. And so, again, you win a game or two. And listen, we win a, let's say we win two games and then we get beat on Saturday. That's cool. That's fine. Leave here with a winning record even if we don't have the trophy. Cool. Okay, well, we'll get on back to start. We'll get ready for a regional. But if we can solidify that third spot in the order, that really sets up well for next year. So I think it, I think it is a big day for Brandon Smith against a really good team from the University of Florida. And so he goes out there and gets us in a, a good situation. Let's hope we go win that ball game. And you kind of nail down any you know, worries about the top eight national seed. But also, too, you alleviate some anxiety about next weekend. Because that's kind of how I see this thing breaking down for us. It's like, you know, we got to be smart with how we handle the pitching next weekend. Because, you know, let's say we go out there and throw McLeod and Bednard. All of a sudden, we're in a loser's bracket. we got to fight our way back. And our, the two biggest bullets in the gun are gone. And I've been looking at these uh, Hunter Barco numbers while I've been talking. Hunter Barco, you know, the last you know few weeks, this is a guy that's been getting been hit a little bit. You know, uh, Arkansas got him a couple runs, four hits and uh, two runs over six. He goes six and a third against Georgia, uh, six hits, two runs. Had a good outing against Kentucky, just two hits and uh, no runs. But you go up down the list here, this is a guy that gives up runs. And he's not a guy that works deep in the ballgame. So, you know, we can get to him. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. 
Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. We just got to make it matter when we do. Let's take a quick look around the country, and there were some other conferences that got their uh, their tournaments underway today, and some surprising results. Out of the AAC, Memphis, last place Memphis, 10-run rules, East Carolina. East Carolina, some people think, is kind of in contention for that final top eight national seed, and certainly a lot to host. They're already in a loser's bracket. Got absolutely shelled in their game today. Uh, and then Central Florida beats Cincinnati, and so Cincinnati will play Eastern Carolina in a loser's bracket game tomorrow. Tulane, a much-needed win for them. Tulane has been projected to be in the field much of the season. Then they have a really bad weekend last weekend and probably need to win two to three games. I think that, I think I read Olthoff was off his game uh, throwing in the throwing 87-88, and that's the guy that beat us. Maybe it's fatigue. I don't know. Uh, South Florida beats Wichita State. South Florida actually playing pretty well here as of late. No threat for them to get in. Uh, the ACC tournament, you know, here's the thing, too. We, we had this discussion on jeanspage.com this morning. A lot of people think that uh, Louisville is in the tournament. I don't believe that's the case. I think they can play their way in. They are not a lock for this tournament. Uh, RPI beginning of the day was 51, and uh, they had lost – I think 10 of 14, and had lost their last two series and recently swept by Clemson. They get a little measure of revenge today. Uh, they take Clemson out in a 15 to 10, and, and it's a round-robin deal. That look, they're having a little pool play out there. So Louisville beats Clemson, and Clemson now three games under 500. Clemson's not getting in. 
Virginia beats Virginia Tech 3-2, and then Pitt beats North Carolina. You know, Pitt is in the pool of 20, but there's no way they host. I think last time I looked, their RPI was in the 50s. Uh, Big 12, the only game today, kind of a play-in game between West Virginia and Kansas. West Virginia wins 8-7, 8-7 out there in Oklahoma City. So that's what's happened today. I guess Mid-American, too. Mid-American played Bowling Green, beats Miami of Ohio 9-7. And then Akron takes our friends from Kent State out 9-6. Missouri Valley, Illinois State beats Evansville 10-9. Valpo, who was the, uh, the best team on Notre Dame's non-conference schedule, Notre Dame played four, count them, four non-conference games one against Central Michigan and three against Valpo. And last time I looked, Valpo was like 14 and 33. Well, they won a tournament game today over Missouri State 6-4. Absolute insanity. Absolute insanity. All right, so Sunbelt Conference, you guys are familiar with those guys. Coastal Carolina, our friends uh, that won our NAFL championship back in 2016, they're 15-1 winners over Arkansas Little Rock. Arkansas State, 9-6 winners over Troy. Good for you, Tommy Raffo. Georgia State, 9-6 winners over UL Monroe. And go ahead and run the jokes right here because everybody was talking about how UL Monroe was so dangerous when they beat TCU. Uh, And App State, a 1-0 winner over Texas State. Now, a lot of those scores just kind of around the league. But, uh, listen, we're in one of the funnest times of the year right now where everything kind of matters for us, everything. Every one of these games matters. Like Tulane winning today, probably helpful with our RPI. Kent State losing today, not helpful with our RPI. And speaking of that, let's take a look here at uh, Warren Nolan's RPI and kind of see where things stand for us as we get ready to play our first game of the SEC tournament. Not a lot of surprises. And and my my colleague Dave Murray keeps up with this on a daily basis. I mean, like at the end, he stays up, and Dave's an old guy, man. <laughs> I love Dave to death, but Dave's been doing this forever and a day. He stays up for you guys because he wants to make sure that you guys have the latest information. As soon as he gets up in the morning, he's already kind of getting that article ready and then updating throughout the day. So Mississippi State actually loses a spot in the RPI, according to Warren Nolan today. So let's run down. Arkansas still at one, Fairfield at two which they're completely out of it. So it's like one of those things, you hear Mississippi State, go ahead and kind of take one number off the roll there. Uh, Texas at number three, Vanderbilt at four, Arizona leapfrogs State and goes to number five, State at six in the RPI, TCU seven, Texas Tech eight, Tennessee nine, Notre Dame 10. And then uh, let's, let's look at a few other things. Old Miss up two to 13 in the RPI. East Carolina down three in the RPI after their loss today. South Carolina had been in a great spot. They're now 16 and falling because they have no way to add. Florida now 20 in the RPI. That's the thing, too. You look at Florida, too, with Mississippi State, Tennessee, two top ten RPIs in front of them. You know, Florida could really legitimize themselves. I don't see them playing their way into a uh, top eight. But I think they're certainly a team that can play their way into a guaranteed hosting spot and move up maybe 12-13 in, in the seating. South Carolina being eliminated is big for Florida because on paper South Carolina was ahead in every measurement except for Florida was one game ahead in the SEC standings. But, of course, South Carolina had swept Florida. But you know what? Florida still lives to fight another day. South Carolina kind of sits around and waits. So 
that's kind of where we stand around the league here and around the RPI. There, there's a, you know, LSU, another one, minus three in the RPI, down to 24. And you would like to think, you know, a team with, uh, you know, 24 RPI can make it, but a 13 and 17 team in the SEC, it's going to be tough, man. I'm not saying it's going to be impossible, but it's going to be difficult because now LSU can do nothing to help their resume. Alabama's RPI down to 35 despite the fact that – I guess that's the tumble from the weekend with us. But, um, you know, we just got to we just gotta win and then let people win around us to kind of help us boost the RPI. We need some teams that we beat uh, to help us. But at the end of the day, the hay is essentially in the barn and Mississippi State controls its own destiny. Simple as that. I, I'm not as worried about this top eight national seed as many other people are. But I think if we go over here and we get beat and get embarrassed, it could leave a maybe perhaps a bitter impression on the committee. I think it's important to kind of understand that um, you know winning the game against Florida and then maybe losing to Tennessee even twice, there's not going to be any real shame in losing to their top ten RPI. Does that mean we drop out of the top ten? Probably so. That's why I think maybe winning a couple games is better for us. But um, you know we just need to find a way to kind of hang in there you know, around the top ten. I don't think we have to be in the top ten. I think we just need to be near the top ten, and we're going to be fine. But I hate feeling this way. It's like I hate – at this point, you would think, you know what, we've done – you know, we've won 40 ball games and 20 in the SEC, and, you know, we've got a top five, top six RPI. You know, why are we sweating this thing out? And it's incredible how the perception of our team changed after that Missouri weekend. I think our people say, well, you know what, it wasn't a, that's just baseball weekend. These guys aren't any good. And I can go around and give you, with the exception of everybody but Arkansas, I can give you a weekend that every team in the conference has had a weekend where you're like, these guys aren't very good. You know, after Ole Miss beat Vanderbilt two out of three, did you not think, you know what, Vanderbilt's not as good as I thought and that Ole Miss is probably better than I expect them to be this time of year, especially with all the injuries? I think that's probably the prevailing school of thought. Then Ole Miss goes and takes two out of three from Georgia. And you're thinking, Georgia's not as good as I thought. Right? You know, it's like it's incredible how everybody has that weekend. You know, but and for some reason, maybe it's because we're so acutely aware of it and we're so emotionally invested in Mississippi State's success, it seems like other people just don't get the same level of criticism that we do. You know, Texas you know, takes two out of three from TCU. Nobody blinks an eye. The next weekend, they lose two out of three to UL Monroe, and it seems like we're the only ones that care about it. Then they lose another series. This past weekend, lost three series in a row, but yet people are saying, hey, they're still hanging in there for a shot at the top eight. I'm like, what? We have one bad weekend? One bad weekend? We've lost three series this year. One to the number one team in the country. Another one on the road at the defending national champions, best two out of three, and we probably gave a game away. And then we had a bad weekend against Mizzou. But it's incredible to think we, we have three series lost the whole year. TCU's had three in a row, but yet people are saying, I think they may be okay. I'm like, what? How could that be? You know, by your own logic, TCU shouldn't even be in consideration. But they are. And it's because of their strength of schedule, and it's because of the fact that they, they finished three games ahead of Texas Tech and in the Big 12 standings. And to be honest with you, I don't think the Big 12 is very good. And the fact that you know, there, there's been a lot of weekends in the Big 12, kind of like a Missouri-Mississippi State weekend, right? I mean, you have Kansas 
Kansas State beat a couple of uh, two of the top three teams in in the Big Twelve. You know that much parity in the league says there's it's not a great league. You look at this Mississippi State SEC West group. Well, let's just kind of be honest here. Beginning of the year, people were expecting Ole Miss to win the league, which I never, I never, I never went along with that. And that's not just because of the fact that I don't like Ole Miss. But people had Ole Miss pick one in the West, State two, Arkansas three. And I said then, people were sleeping on Arkansas. But if you look at where it is at the end of the year, Arkansas's one, State's two, Ole Miss is three. And so we got the three right. You know, the order was off a little bit. Do you really think that those Big 12 teams could come in here and run this gauntlet? And let, let me remind you, the very first weekend of the year, Texas Tech, TCU, and Texas combined for a 1-8 and eight record against those same three teams. And it seems like we're the only ones that remember that. It's like, well, yeah, that was ancient history. Oh, well, was it? But, that's, but you use that justification to say, well, well, the reason TCU's ranked ahead of Mississippi State is because they beat them. Okay, well, the, why was that not ancient history? You know, and so there's a lot of this that doesn't make sense to me. But here's the deal. We're about to play a tournament between 64 teams, and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter how anybody votes. It doesn't matter what anybody projects. What happens in a tournament is there's a scoreboard, and the team that scores the most runs is rewarded with a victory, and then they advance. No matter how many people hate them, no matter how many people don't like them, no matter how many people don't believe in them, no matter how many people pick them to lose, it doesn't matter. What other people say simply doesn't matter. That's the best thing about this. You know, at Mississippi State, we typically do better in situations where there's a scoreboard involved. We're never going to win a matter of opinion. But you put a scoreboard up there, good chance we're going to beat your tail, in baseball especially. And so those are the things that I begin to think about. And we get all been out of shape, and I've said many times, you know, listen, we talk about rankings because it gives us something to talk about. But the only rankings that matter are the last ones. And nobody votes on that. The team that wins the tournament is the number one team in the country. And that's our goal. Our goal isn't just to get to Omaha. Our goal isn't just to win a couple of games at Omaha. Our goal isn't to just win the bracket at Omaha. Our goal is to get to Omaha and win the whole thing. Now, I'm not one of these kind of people who believe it's national championship or bust. I can look back in hindsight and say, you know what, we had a great year. It may take me six months, but I can look back and say, you know what, that was a really good team. But every year, you and I get up and, you know, we start looking at the schedule in February and saying, hey, the schedule looks great and, man, we got to be on the road for this SEC weekend and we're home for this one. This is probably a toss-up here. And so we start picking it out and say, you know what, yeah, we've got a good chance to host, right? Because that's what we want to do. That's part of our goal to get there. But we all, the bigger thing is we all think, is this the year? Is this the year? Is it finally the year? Because we know how much we deserve it. And as John Cohen told me in an interview earlier this year, he said, to be honest with you, sometimes I want it more for our fans than I do for myself or our coaches and our players because of how much our fans put into it. You know, I've been invited to a little fish fry out in the RV lots that I'm going to tomorrow night down in Hoover. 
some big caravan of Bulldogs that have come over to celebrate, enjoy the SEC tournament. They're going to fry some fish. They're going to have a good time. We're all going to congregate together, and I'm going to go to that. And the thing that I think about is how many of those people at the beginning of the year said, you know what, we're all going to go to Hoover, and we're going to celebrate Mississippi State, and maybe this is our year. Maybe this is the year that I've been looking for, I've been waiting for. And so I can't sit here and promise you that this is our year. But I can tell you this. They better not let us get to Omaha. Because we've got a veteran group that has been, as does Arkansas, in some respects, as does Vandy, right? And so... We've got some SEC teams that are going in there, and kind of depending on how the brackets fall out, we could have an all-SEC final. But I think when you begin to break this thing down, you look at Vanderbilt, you know, their pitching's been up and down as of late. You know, I think if you're going to beat them, I think you want to beat them in the, in the bracket. You know, when they have to kind of extend themselves, you get deeper into the bracket, and all of a sudden they're having to throw a fourth and fifth starter. I think Mississippi State gets them. I think I, if I want to play Arkansas, I'd want to play them in the, in the, in the championship. Maybe I'm crazy, but that's how I feel. And you know what? As much as some of you guys don't like Arkansas, I've got a lot of respect for Arkansas. I do. And you know what? They never won one either. I don't want them to win one before we do. But there's a part of me, I think to myself, there's a little bit of, a little piece of me that says, you know what? If we can't win it, I'm kind of, I would rather them win it than say Vanderbilt or Texas or really anybody else. And if we can't win it, I kind of want them to. I know some people say, well, you know, I hate those guys. The fans are so obnoxious on Twitter. We'll never live it down. I, I get it. But I think new champions are good for the sport of baseball. It's just how I feel. I don't want them to win over us. I, want, I would love to be able to go to – the national championship series and beat Arkansas in two games and then we'll be able to gloat and have a good time on Twitter and that sort of stuff and also too we'll have beaten a great team and how cool would it be if we go beat the number one team in the country for the national championship you talk about there's some years out there that people say oh uh, this team fluked in there this shouldn't really count You you know college baseball was down that year but how rewarding would that be what a great story that would be that Arkansas came to Starkville and swept us, and then we ultimately beat them for a national championship in Omaha. It'd be one of the greatest stories of all time. And so I look at all this as opportunity. There's nobody out there that I think our team is dodging. I don't think anybody is scared. And, of course, our immediate concern is the University of Florida. But it's impossible to not think about what could be. And us as fans – you know, we can get as excited about us as we want to. We can get ahead of the game. We don't have to bear down and focus. It's almost 1 o'clock in the morning here, and i got to get up in six hours. But I don't, I don't have to get a good night's rest because I'm not pitching tomorrow. I'm not going to be in the batter's box. I didn't need to go take any, uh, you know, take Benadryl at 10 o'clock to make myself go to sleep. I can stay up all night. It's not going to affect the outcome of the game. But I think when we begin to think about next weekend – you think, you know what, we should get a favorable draw. Listen, there, and I guarantee you this, because I can hear Mr. Self-Loathing Mississippi State fan right now, there will be some Power 5 team that comes in as a two that's had a pretty mediocre year 
And they're going to say, oh, the NCAA is always trying to screw us. Guys, we're not going to get the Louisiana School of Math and Science and Wesley College and Bug Tussle Tech in our regional. That's not how it's going to work. Nobody that makes a regional is lucky, except maybe Southern this year because they beat Jackson State. You know, but they earned it, right? But you understand my point. It's like we're always looking for, oh, we're always getting this extra hurdle. No, no. We're not an average baseball program. We're not an average team. We're an elite program. We're an elite team. I, I get tired of having an argument with people. It's like, well, you know, we're not, elite teams don't do this. Listen, you can find whatever you want to to make yourself miserable. I just know this. I know we won 20 games in the SEC. I guess it's happened four times in our history. Four. Chris Simonos has done it twice. So if we're consistently going to be a team that's competing for the SEC West championship, more times than not we're going to be competing for the SEC championship, which means we're just about always going to be hosting a regional with those numbers and potentially it'll be a top eight national seed. You know, the odds of us getting to Omaha and winning it continue to get better. Let's talk a little recruiting before we get out the door. Brought to you by my friend Brooks Bryan at Portico. And listen, Brooks Bryan's my friend, your friend, he's everybody's friend. Brooks is invested in Starkville. He's invested in Mississippi State. He wants to bring value to Mississippi State. He wants to bring you home to Starkville. So Brooks is one of the developers of this great new residential complex. It's a great residential development right near campus, just over a mile from campus. It's called Portico. You turn off of 82, like you're going to campus on 12. It's the very first ride. It's how close it is. You cross over Old West Point Road, and there's Portico. Got the walking trail, houses to fit any size family, two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath. You need information. And listen, we want you to come be our neighbors. We do. We want you to come home. Brooks will have all your information. There's only a couple houses left in phase one, and the next thing you know, they're going to start phase two. It's only going to be like 51 houses in that development. It's not going to be, you know, one of these things where it's all these cookie-cutter houses all piled on top of each other. But it's going to be a great community. You need to get more information. You've been putting it off. Stop doing that. And listen, if you've been thinking about it, just wet the whistle a little bit and just call and get some info. And maybe that puts you over the edge. Just get some information. Call today. Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog Brooks Bryan, looks like he could still play. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Okay, so a lot of people say, Steve, listen, now that we've got uh, Trent Singleton in the boat, what's next? And we talked about that a little bit earlier in the week. You know, I have talked to a lot of people kind of confirming some of these uh, camp decisions. You know, Peyton McKinnon, offensive lineman from Mississippi Gulf Coast, will be here on June 4th. Uh, the big dog camp or top dog camp, whatever you want to call it. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm more, to be honest with you, I'm more partial to big dog camp because I think I thought it was better when we called it big dog camp when Dan was running it, all due respect to Joe. But big dog camp was at night. It was similar to Friday Night Lights. We'd take the guys over to Davis Wade Stadium, turn the music on, let them play a little football. It was a lot of fun. Have Dak and other players out there roaming around in their jerseys, interacting with players, having a good time. We did the top dog camp under Joe. It was in the heart of the day, and had kids over there throwing up. And, yeah, it was in the stadium, but uh, they wouldn't let us. 
get video and be close enough to the kids. It was, you know, just it was a it was a shell of what Big Dog Camp was. Big Dog Camp used to be this great event that we couldn't wait to go to. Top Dog Camp was not nearly as good. It wasn't even close to being good. And I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think it sold Mississippi State the way Big Dog Camp. Big Dog Camp was a celebration. Top Dog Camp just kind of seemed, you know, just like a practice. It didn't seem like a party type deal. I don't mean you got a party. What I mean is I think the kids enjoyed being on Davis Wade Stadium at Scott Field and hearing the music playing and catching the pass. And, you know, it was it was ultra competitive. And it was just – it was a different environment for Top Dog Camp under Joe. And I'm not, I'm not throwing any shots at Joe. I just didn't like the way we did it. Now, I'm told this camp is going to be at night. This camp is going to be more like we did in the Big Dog Camp. And so you can call it whatever you want. Uh, I'm going to continue to call it Big Dog Camp because I think that's better mojo for us. Top Dog Camp just kind of takes me back to some times that we, you know, we signed some kids couldn't make it, you know. And so there's going to be a bunch of kids here. So Xavier Harris is supposed to be here. I don't know if he's going to work out, but he's supposed to be here. Um, Grayson Morgan, offensive lineman, is supposed to be here. Just about, I think, all the commitments are going to be here. I don't know if Sawyer is going to be here yet, even though he's a signee. Yeah, he'll be here. They'll be they'll be ready to report. And uh, he might just be playing baseball. Let me double-check that. But newcomers are set to report uh, any day now. I think it's actually May 27th. I think everybody will be here this week. Or maybe it's this weekend. But newcomers will start trickling in. But there's going to be a lot of defensive line guys here as well. Uh, Don Terry Russell's a guy that could be here. I, I'm not ready to say we're on commitment watch with him, but it would not surprise me. I don't know that he would commit a big dog camp, but I wouldn't totally rule out that possibility. I do think it's a matter of time before he is a bulldog, and I think big dog camp is probably as good a time as any to do it. I just don't know if he's been convinced that's the right thing to do. So we'll, we'll see. I know that he wants to be a Bulldog, and I think it's just a matter of time before he announces. I think it would be good to get it done during Big Dog Camp to kind of get your name in the paper. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a big part of things, too, when you have these camps. And you know, we always get excited. You know, sometimes Dan would even hold some commitments and have them all announced at Big Dog Camp so we could get, you know, the big splash. Now, a couple of things I think you guys need to be mindful of, too. I'm going to share this with you. I hadn't had a chance to share it over on Gene's page yet because it's a travel day for me, and then I had to do some uh, some work to kind of prepare for the ball game tomorrow. Dakota Jordan, previously of Canton Academy, is on the move to Jackson Academy. Now, I'm told one of the reasons why is he wants to play in a, you know, a higher level of competition in both football and baseball. He'll certainly get that opportunity at Jackson Academy. Also told that he is likely not going to be the MLB draft risk that maybe we thought six months ago, that uh, there is a possibility that he would be drafted. But at this point, probably not enough, and that's going to be a year from now for him, that would cause him to bypass college. Mississippi State, of course, is kind of committed to him as the only running back in the class. I've been told in recent days that Ole Miss has actually been trying to flip him for two months, and they've been unsuccessful. Now, you and I both know they're not going to give up in the month of March, the month of April, the month of May, 
October, November, December. They're going to continue to work that. And so that's something to watch. Now, now Dakota himself has said, you know, listen, I'm good. I'm not going. But, you know, you and I both know Mississippi State's going to have to work hard. You know, and you say, well, Steve, it always happens and we lose them. That's not true. It's not true at all. Remember Emmanuel Forbes, All-American freshman cornerback from Grenada, an Ole Miss town? And what's anytime I say that, the, the state fans up say, no, it's not. Yes, it is. They were relentless in their efforts to try to get him to prolong his decision and not sign with Mississippi State in December and give uh, you know Lane Kiffin a chance to recruit him and maybe wait to February. And he said, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm signing with Mississippi State. And so D- Dakota could take that same route. You may recall Nathan Pickering elected not to sign in December and was going to take some visits. And all of a sudden he realized what message that sent. So he shut things down and didn't, and didn't do anything. But, you know, recruiting, listen, I've had somebody with some, um, let's just say some direct knowledge of the uh, former recruiting manual under Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. And one of the things that was listed in their goals every year is they wanted to flip a Mississippi State commitment on signing day. It was in, in writing. You know, it's, we always talk about, well, you know, rent-free. If that's not rent-free, I don't know what is. It's in the dadgum recruiting manual. It may not be anymore. Lane Kiffin may not care as much about us. But, you know, you, we saw last year they wanted to flip McKayla Pounders. They did, and then didn't have a spot for him, and the poor kid had to go to Memphis. Still not happy about that. Happy the kid still had some more to go, though. And so these are the things that you hear about and you watch all year. And so Dakota, obviously, is a guy they've identified that probably has some people close to him. They're probably saying, yeah, we can get him to flip. And that's usually the case with every one of those kids, whether they flip or not. There's always somebody around them. You may recall DeMonte Russell. Remember him? Yeah, he's at Mississippi State right now. That was all the talk on the message boards because he had a couple people close to him that really wanted him to go to Ole Miss. And they weren't members of his family. They kind of portrayed themselves as such. They were going to be a mentor, you know, that sort of stuff. And then, uh, you know, the, at the end, the family and the young man decided, no, we're going to Mississippi State. No, we're not going to take official visit to Ole Miss. I don't know who you talked to or what they promised you, but we're not going. And so don't think every time Ole Miss gets involved and they got people around that we automatically lose the kid. Sometimes we do. It's clearly something that means a lot to them to flip one of our kids. And I guess maybe I should write a story one day on Cordell Giles. Remember him? Oh, you forgot? Yes, so did Ole Miss. Cordell Giles is a guy from Benoit, Mississippi, committed to Mississippi State. Ole Miss flipped him on signing day. I'm not even sure he was going to have the grades, but they wanted to flip him. They did. He didn't qualify. He goes to Mississippi Gulf Coast, and according to one of their own alums who coached at Mississippi Gulf Coast, said that Ole Miss never called to check on the kid ever again. He served his purpose. And so, yeah, it, it looked good on signing day. But what happened after the fact? And you can say, well, you know, he didn't take care of business. So you didn't call down there and check? You didn't call your own guy, your own former player that's down there coaching? And so there's a lot of this theater that goes on with recruiting. And so I think it's important to understand that. You remember a couple of years ago, Tekion Reed from New Hope, you know, threw the Mississippi State hat? You know, where is he today? Oh, he ended up going to junior college. Yeah, he did. Where is he today? 
Ole Miss dropped him. He got in some trouble. They released him from his national letter of intent. But, again, he had served his purpose. Because, again, the plan was, hey, we want to flip a Mississippi State commitment on signing decks. We want to mess with them and kind of galvanize their fan base and show that we still run the show. But then when I go back and look at them, I say, well, where are all these kids? What did they do? You flipped all these guys. What, what did you get from it? What did they contribute to the program? You flipped Armani Lenton, too. I'm sure he was a great official visit host. He didn't do much as a football player, but you flipped him. You know, and so I run. I can run down that list. And those are the things that I think about. You know, it's like every time we've had somebody get shady, you know, remember Pat Patterson? Remember that was the big story that his uh, his mentor told him? You know, we the 3-2 game is like, hey, I watch that offense. I, I just can't go play there. You know what? No high school kid thinks that way. Every high school kid says, you know what? Those guys need receivers. If that had been me on that field, we'd have won that ball game. But all of a sudden, there's these, these you know, packaged talking points that, that's fed to these kids. Here's what you go tell them. Just tell them I can't play on that offense. Kids don't think that way. They don't operate that way. But you know what? Pat Patterson uh, looked really good chasing Corey Brumfield down the field in that pick six in that 2009 Egg Bowl. You know, again, it's like all these things happen. You know, it's like every time there's been somebody that's done something, you know, it's like they flip these guys. And I begin to say, you know what, where are they now? And so it's a cautionary tale for the next group. You know, go look at the last kids that flipped. Look at the kind of careers they had. Where are they today? How many of them finished college? How many of them got their degree? How many of them played professional football? How many of them played college football? Or how many of them were just simply a roster filler? Things to think about. Remind you guys, too, if you hadn't done so, go order my newest book, Blooms of Oleander, is available for pre-order through Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble. It is going to be released on June 7th. I don't carry the inventory. You can, uh, you, know, it's, you can order through them. They'll ship it to you. If you want a personalized copy, which I know many of you do, uh, you contact Book Martin Cafe in Starkville, and they'll take your order and uh, your signing instructions, and I'll take care of them when the books come in, and then they'll ship them to you. Uh, also, Lemuria Books is going to be carrying the book, and uh, we'll have a book signing set up with them uh, sooner rather than later. Looking forward to that. But uh, I'm excited about the book, and, and I think you will be too. And uh, listen, Father's Day is coming up. Let me encourage you too. Dad wants a copy of Alpha Dogs if he doesn't have one already. And if he's got alpha dogs, he may need a copy of Stark Villains. And you know what? Some of you, some of you may have uh, you know, some people that maybe hadn't had Red Flim Flam in your family. They need to be educated. You can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs at alphadogsthebook.com. Go check it out today. And, you know, perhaps if, if Dad already has all the books, maybe he wants a Stark Villain t-shirt. We had a really big month last month. They sent me the reports. I was thank you guys so much. April was a great month for uh, Stark Villain wear. So go to StarkVillains.com, and uh, I was very surprised. And again, I, I want to give uh, give the camp ladies Ashley and Angel a shout out for uh, wearing the Stark Villain shirts on television because I think that's what spawned all these new sales. So thank you guys very much, the lovely camp mother and daughter. Well, guys, I'm going to get out of here and get some rest, and then uh, I'm going to get up early and eat some breakfast, and I'm going to head over to the Hoover Met and hopefully watch Mississippi State win a ball game against Florida. Now, I will do a Facebook Live Wednesday night 
from uh, the hotel here, and uh, we'll kind of recap the day that was. We won't wait for the nightcap to finish, so be looking for that. And then when I get, you know, we'll see what happens the rest of the weekend. I may be recording Friday's show right here in Hoover. If we don't win, I'll be recording it from home in Starkville. And so, I, as I told Rowdy Jordan today, and if you, if you want to go read that, I wrote that story before I went to dinner, the uh, conversation with Rowdy Jordan, a free article over on Gene's page. I told him, I packed enough clothes to make it to Sunday. I don't want to bring any clean clothes home with me. I want to have to wear them all. And uh, listen, I think our kids are here ready to play. And so we'll see how things progress. And uh, it won't take us long to figure it out. We'll find out if we're ready to go here in a few hours. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.